And, and Lord, we want our hearts to be in a position where we can connect and receive from you anything that you want to minister into our lives. Lord, we open up your word because that's where faith comes from. It comes from hearing and from hearing the word that you've written to us. It nourishes us, Lord, and it strengthens us. And, and today is a day set aside during our week where we, as the family of the redeemed, blood-bought people of Almighty God, we gather together. And we gather together, Lord, that we might be able to corporately worship you in spirit and truth because you alone are worthy of our praises, but also to humbly sit and to yield ourselves underneath the truth of your word. Lord, your call to the church still for the last 2,000 years has been for us to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking. So, Holy Spirit, we know you've got something to say. And I pray that in this room that each one of us would have an ear that you could say it to, in a heart that it could sink into. So we bless you, Lord. We thank you for your love and for your blood and for everything in between. It has given us the opportunity at a new life in you. And in Christ, we know that this is the worst it's ever going to get. But you've got a kingdom awaiting us. And oh, Lord, the day that we behold you face to face, we long for. But until then, we just pray, God, that you would strengthen us for the war. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you weren't here last week, and, or if you forgot and you were here last week, we're in the Gospel of John. So turn to John's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 1. Last week we talked about the deity of Christ who called himself the Word who will eventually, we'll see today, as we touched on last week, would manifest himself in human flesh. We talked about him being life. We talked about him being light. Today we're picking up in verse 6, and we're going to make a quick reference just to see the origin of this individual that we're going to be focusing on here, another John. Now, this is John the apostle who wrote the gospel of John, writing about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. He had a mission that Christ was coming, and he needed to speak a word that would prepare people's heart to meet Jesus. Kind of the message that God's given us as a church today. (laughs) We're kind of like the forerunners. Except he got to do it for the first coming, we get to do it for the second coming. We've got a great message of hope that we get to share. But it says here in verse 6, and and one of the things we need to know is that this guy's kind of a radical dude if you know him, but but his name literally means Yahweh has been gracious, okay? Jehovah has been gracious. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. If you will, go with me real quick to Luke chapter 1 because I think there's a couple things that we need to see about him. And the John ministries are so essential today. 
Because they're not looking to win popularity contests. They're just looking to speak with biblical integrity and honor God and to deliver the message that he's given them. But we're going to be picking up, well, we'll look at his parents. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abbei, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, so we see this is who his mom and dad were. And he had a godly lineage. And they were both righteous before God. So it literally means that they chose to live by godly standards in a way that they lived their life. So it says they were both righteous before God. They were walking in the commandments and in the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That literally means that nobody could hold a charge to their account based upon bad character, blemish of character. And they had no child because... The, that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well-stricken in years. So we got kind of an Abraham-Sarah thing going on here, right? They want to have kids, they couldn't have kids, and they're beyond the age of having kids. And it came to pass while he executed the priest office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So what do we do? We find him here, and you know what? That was something very heartbreaking. They couldn't have kids. All right. And what we find here with Zacharias and Elizabeth, that what do we find them doing? We still look at it might have been something that they were very discouraged by, something that they didn't even understand. But here's the thing. You know what they're still doing? They're still worshiping God. They're still serving God. That's what they're still doing. They're still moving forward because people like that, and they're living a godly life. They're righteous, and their conduct before men was honoring unto God. But they didn't sign up with a condition clause. They realized that God was worth following regardless of their ability to understand the things that have happened in their life that they don't like or the things that they don't understand in this life. But they kept serving, they kept worshiping, and they kept living a godly life. So we can see something here about the characters of these individuals. Now he's in the priest role. He's doing the priest duties, burning the incense. And it says in verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Just like any time an angel's seen, everybody gets scared to death. But the angel said unto him, Fear not. The common message they got to tell everybody is... is uh, the angelic realm steps into the natural human realm. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. <laughs> He's got to be thinking, what prayer? You know, thy, thy prayer is heard. For thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and you're going to call his name John. So you know what happens here? He takes him beyond the realm of possibility. You know, and I think sometimes God does that in our life. He likes to take us beyond the realm of possibility to show us that he's a God, that with him all things are possible. So he's saying that we, and, and they probably had quit praying this prayer maybe two decades ago. I can't remember their exact age or what her time would have been in life, but, but all of a sudden, you know, your prayer is heard or literally it was heard. E.M. Bound said this, Patience has its perfect work in the school of delay. <laughs> we all like that, right? 
You know, patience. We love patience. But patience has its perfect work in the school of delay. But the bottom line is God makes all things beautiful in his time. So the bottom line is even sometimes you think about it now. Prayers maybe that you prayed years ago, you haven't prayed in a long time. I know, I remember, I got a friend, and I used to pray for his salvation. I used to drive to Kodak every day. I'd hit this bend at Leroy, and that was my marker to pray for this guy's salvation, you know? And I actually forgot about that. But over, uh, you know, over the years, I, I believe that those prayers that still went up for him years ago, decades ago, because I've been out of the union for almost 20 years now, that still are up before the throne of God, and God still has the ability to answer those prayers. So we see here with him that you're going to name his name John, which I said Yahweh is gracious, or the Lord is gracious, and, and God chose this name for his forerunner. And now shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So you know what he does? Right off the bat, he says, you know what? I'm calling you to raise your child in a pure environment. This child's going to have like a Nazarite body. He's not going to be defiled by the things that the world has to offer him. And, and he's saying, you know what, Zachariah? I need you to do your part. Trust me, I'll do mine. I'm going to fill him with the Holy Ghost right inside of the womb. So this is the witness that John's telling us about. And he goes on to say here, many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God and he shall go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife's well stricken in years. And the angel answered unto him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, I'm sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings, and behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, <clears throat> because you believe not. Big thing there, you can circle that, because you believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled, and he tarried so long, in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak and perceive that they, he saw a vision in the temple and beckoned unto them because he remained speechless. You know what happens? Unbelief has the ability to take, take away our voice. You find people who will believe God. You find people who are walking in the faith. Those words have a dynamic of impact in other people's lives because they actually believe what they declare. But he here, he struggled with unbelief and that unbelief took away his voice. So I want to take a look at who this John is writing about John. John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist. So I want to take a look at, at how he came to be here in Luke's gospel. So you can turn back to John's gospel with me. <clears throat> he was named by an angel. He was named from heaven. God had a purpose in it. And you think about all that, you know, he's going to really lay the hammer on the religious leaders. And his name is the Lord is gracious. Yeah, the Lord is gracious. Because the messages that, God, that John had to deliver to the people from God was a very gracious message. You know why? Because it was a message of truth. And I explain it in this way, that, that, that sometimes people are going in a wrong direction so hard that they need something hard to get their attention. If you got your toddler heading towards the end of your driveway and you know you live on a busy road, you're not going to sit there with your little sweet sitting in the house 
kitchen voice, but you're going to bark at that kid and get that kid's attention because you love that kid, and you know they're heading for disaster, you know they're heading for destruction, and you're going to do everything you can to speak something that's going to get their attention before they suffer great consequences. And that's the way John was when he showed up on the scene, and we need Johns today because people are heading into dangerous ways, and we need ministries like John's today. So it says here that the same came for a witness, and he came to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. So bearing witness, what are we going to see here? We're going to see a guy here that spent his time in the presence of God, and, and he declared the things that God had him share. Now, one of the things that I had you turn to Luke because I believe that it is very important for you and I. We need a reminder. It's the simple things. It's the core basic things of Christianity that need to be reminded to us, whether we're in our devotionals and God does or whether you come to church, whether you hear it on the radio. But you need to remember that you and I are Jesus's witnesses. You need to remember that. You know, <laughs> I talked with Justin quite a bit this week. We had a lot going on. And, and, and I said, you know, I was, just, I was just being reminded by the Lord that, you know, when I came to save in faith in Jesus Christ, I stepped onto a battlefield. Man, it is war. And, and sometimes we got to remind ourselves that, that there's just an onslaught of battle going on. But one of the things that we see about John was he came for a witness. Jesus Christ, before he went back up into heaven, before he ascended back up into glory, I love, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter 1, was he told them that you're not going to go anywhere until you receive power from on high, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. So the last thing that Christ spoke to his church was about going forth and being his witnesses, but making sure that you had power to be that witness. Because sometimes we do the best that we can, but the best that we can might be good in heart, but it's not good enough for impact because it's not about the best that we can, but it's about opening up our hearts to him making us beyond what we can be for his glory. Impactful, anointed. That the words that we speak, they would have weight because they're lit from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. So, so John's calling here was to be a witness. And the reason he was such a great witness was because God said, boom, I filled him with the Holy Spirit right in his mother's womb. And without the Holy Spirit, we've got no power in our witness. No power. Especially Sunday mornings, I'm like, Lord, before my feet hit that ground, I'm like, All that's getting up right now is me. And my family and my church don't need me. They need you working through me. Holy Spirit, please please fill me up. I ask him by faith to fill me up so I would have something of benefit to bring to your life and anybody else's life to be a tool from heaven as I speak this because I don't want to operate in front of you in my power, but I want God's power surging through his word to make you and I what we've been designed to be. So it says that he came to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. The way God promotes the light is by our testimony, okay? 
the big thing is, is what do you think other people think about us? What message are we sharing before the lives of other people by the conduct and the character that they see taking place inside of us? Because Paul would tell you and me that we are living epistles that were known and were read of men. What does that mean? It says, it means that they might not open up and read this, at least at first, but they're reading you. And they're reading me. And you better believe they're just waiting for you to blow it. Just waiting for you to blow it. And you know what? If you've blown it, I blew it. I've blown it more than once. I had a boss that was half Nephilim, I think. The guy was like seven foot ten. And he ripped into me one day on a job about something that he had no idea what he was even talking about. And we're in this cafetorium, and he sets out these blueprints for me. He, he was actually in the trailer building a cottage at the Thousand Islands while me and the other foreman were doing the whole job. And so he come out one day, and he started ripping into me, and he laid out these set of blueprints that I've never seen before. And it had all these things on that, that I didn't do. And he's yelling at me because I didn't do them. So turns out, he comes back to me and he says, hey, these were the wrong pr prints. They were kicked out. The prints you got are the right prints. I couldn't hold it back. I took my finger and I stuck it as far up in the air as I possibly could. I blew my testimony. So what did I do after that? I blew my witness. I had to go back and I had to apologize to him. I had to apologize to my Jehovah Witness apprentice and whoever else I uh, had blown my testimony in front of. But it's really important the way that we conduct ourselves. You know, it says here about John, it, it, it says that, that he came as a witness to bear witness for all light of all men might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So Spurgeon said this, he said, there was no light from John except what he reflected from his Lord, okay? All light comes from Jesus. All light comes from Jesus. Every man who comes into the world with any light borrows his light from Christ. There is no other light. There can be no other because he alone is the light of the world, you know, sometimes I'll be in my house, I'll look out, and I'm like, doggone it, I left the, car, the, the light on in, in my, my truck, you know? So I go out there, I'm like, the, the light's not on, but it sure looked like it was on. The reason that it looked like it was on, because it was in direct, it was in direct view of the sun. And the sun's lighting up that rear taillight where it looks like the light bulb's actually on because it, there's a direct connection. There's nothing broken between the two. I don't know if you've noticed, but, but the last few weeks, the moon's been beautiful. But the moon is something that does not, it's not its own source of light. The moon actually reflects the light of the sun, and that's what we see. And when I was thinking about that, you know, we're, everybody gets, you know, pumped up about get out there at midnight, two in the morning, whatever it might be, because, whoom, there's going to be a lunar eclipse, right? And, and a lunar eclipse, what does that do? That's when the earth comes between the sun and the moon, and, and we have 
this eclipse. And what does it do? It shuts down the light and it shuts down the reflection. But you know what that is to me? To me, that's a warning. That it's very easy for the world to get in the way of the witness that we were desired to reflect of who Jesus Christ is to a lost and to a dark world. That's exactly what happened with Demas. Remember Demas, fellow servant, man. Paul would write to him in the epi- about him in the epistles. He's serving alongside. But guess what happened? You know, Demas has forsaken me, rather loving this present age. So what did Demas do? Demas, the world got in the way, and he decided to go after the world. He lost his reflection of Jesus Christ. He lost his witness. And the last thing we read about him in the Bible was he forsook Paul, and he went after the world. But John wasn't that way. John was an individual who reflected the glory of God. He says that was the true light, not (coughs) that lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So the world didn't recognize him, the world didn't know him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that belong, or believe in his name. You know, I don't watch much TV, actually, because I don't have an antenna in my house. But I do have an antenna out in my coop. So the little bit of TV I watch is usually revolves around the NFL for some reason. And, but there is one show that I used to really like a lot, and it was called Undercover Boss. You know, I don't know if you ever watch Undercover Boss. I always like that. I always like it when the employees tell the boss what they really think about him and his company. You know, that's good stuff right there. Whoever invented that was genius. That was the wisdom of Solomon. But, but Undercover Boss, they didn't expect the CEO to come as one of them. You know, to put on their chicken suit or whatever they were wearing. They didn't expect the CEO to come as one of them. And with the Jewish people, I don't think they understood that the Son of God didn't come undercover. He did come as one of them, but he didn't come undercover. He said he was coming. Here's the problem. They would study the promises of the Bible that they wanted to hear. They didn't study them all. And what I mean by that is we're going to be sharing on it as Christmas rolls around, you know, unto us a son's born, you know. And then it goes on to say that the government's going to be on his shoulder and and of the increase of his government and peace and righteousness, there's not going to be any end, you know? And you focus on that, yeah, when the Messiah comes. They saw a throne. They saw rule. They saw righteousness. All great stuff. But in their study of Isaiah, camping out on, on chapter 9, missing it, in chapter 53... that he would be bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement of our peace would be upon him. That, that by our stripes, or by his stripes, that we would be healed. They, they didn't see in Psalm 22, you know, the things that he would suffer on the cross, or in Daniel 
chapter 9 that he would be cut like butchered. They didn't see that. They didn't understand the picture of Genesis 22 where a father would take his son whom he loves and offer him. They didn't have the understanding of the Passover lamb in Exodus where that innocent lamb would be sacrificed so that blood covering would save the family from death and destruction. They didn't see those things. They were expecting a different Messiah. They were expecting him to come and make life better. We come to Jesus Christ because according to the Bible, the only way that we can be saved and forgiven is by what he accomplished on Calvary for you and I. Because we violated his word and we offended him by our actions and our deeds and the condition of our heart. But he's a God of grace and mercy. So he would send his son to die on a cross for our sins. That's what we've been called to believe. We can't come to Jesus Christ so our marriage will get better. We can't come to Jesus Christ so the doctor's prognosis will change. We can't come to Jesus Christ because my, my, my finances is about ready to go belly up and my business might go bankrupt. Those are all reasons that might get your attention that you don't have Jesus in your life, but that's not why you come to Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ because he's a wonderful Savior and we're a lost sinner. And he's willing to forgive us of our sins. And you know what? He might fix the marriage. He might fix the business. He might change your financial state. But even if he doesn't, you stand before God whole and righteous because you're in the covering of Christ. And that's why we come to Jesus Christ. They had a wrong perception of him. Not that the things they were looking forward to weren't going to happen, but there were other things that had to take place first. They saw a throne, but first they had to see a cross. It says here, but as many as had received him. He gave them power, which literally means the privileged right to become, which is to become who we were not before. What does that mean? That means I'm going to become somebody that I wasn't before, and it's all going to hinge on the other side of receiving Christ. Paralambano, taking him unto yourself. It's, it's beyond acknowledging, but it's actually doing something. The word believe here, it means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust, to accept as true, genuine or real, to have a firm conviction as to the goodness, efficiency, or ability of something or someone. It means to entrust oneself to an entity to, in complete confidence to believe in with the implication of total commitment to the one who's trusted. So what we have to see, we, we got to look away from easy believism to biblical believism. And biblical believism, the Bible written in the Greek, this is the Greek definition of it. 
says, while obviously belief must first have some intellectual apprehension of truth, intellectual belief is also, is absolutely not genuine soul-saving belief. The respect the respect to Greek lexicon, W.E. Vine, adds that belief that saves the soul consists of this. Look at a firm conviction which produces full acknowledgement of God's revelation of truth, a personal surrender to that truth, like we're seeing here. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Believe. And three, a conduct inspired and consistent with that surrender. A conduct inspired and consistent with that surrender. What does that mean? That means that a life that's redeemed shows itself to be redeemed. That's what it means. So this is not a checklist, bam, bam, bam. But it's what biblical belief looks like when the Holy Spirit steps in. One of my concerns as a pastor, obviously, is to have people who are churched and not saved. Jeremiah prophesied that the summer has ended, the harvest is over, and we're not saved. It comes down to this that Jesus Christ is a gift. But if you don't receive it to yourself, him to yourself, what benefit does that bring into your life? You've missed the whole thing. It's like the parable of the sowers, right? The one heart heard the word and with a good heart received the word. Paralambano took it into himself, took it as your own. That's what we do. We make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior personally, actually receiving him. So as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Uh, the thing that I want you to see that, that about being a son of God, okay, or children of God, okay, ladies, children of God, sons of God, he's got here in the King James. But, but, but here, here's the difference in the position, okay? Because we're talking about, okay, the son of God, we're sons of God. What's the difference here? Well, the only begotten, the word begotten, the only begotten, uh, got ahead of myself there, sorry guys, which, which were born not of blood or the will of man or the flesh nor the will of man of God, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word that we read about that has become flesh that came here and tabernacled amongst us, it says that he is the only begotten of the Father. That word begotten in the Greek is monogenus. Mono means one and genus means of class or kind, unique, one of a kind, one and only. So he and we, okay, he and we, sons of God by position, but he alone, son of God by nature, okay? That's what begotten means, all right? Mono genus, one of class or kind, unique, one of a kind, one and only. That's who Jesus is. We have the position of being 
a son of God or a child of God by position. He does and we do, but he alone is the son of God by nature. So that's what we're looking at when we see begotten here. So the word was made flesh and, and dwelt. The word there literally in the Greek is tabernacle. It, it gives you the Old Testament picture of Exodus, how Moses was told to build the tabernacle. And, and that would be the place where the presence of God would be with his people. Exodus 25.8 says, and let them make me a sanctuary, God speaking here, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. You know, that's God, that was God's desire, that he would dwell among them, and he would in a tabernacle. But now he does in our hearts by faith. But he steps in, and he steps in as a human being. He steps in so that you and I can know, according to Hebrews chapter 4, that we have a high priest that totally understands our weaknesses, that totally understands every one of our struggles, that understands our temptations and our condemnations, in our hurt, in our pain, in our rejection. You can tell other people you haven't been there, you haven't experienced what I've experienced, you have no understanding, but you cannot say that to Jesus Christ because he fully understands everything any one of us have been through. He was made flesh. And the big thing is him being made flesh, verse 11, simply says this in two words, he came. He came. Think about that. He could have started all over. He could have done a, a redo. He could have hit reset. But no, he came because we needed him to. He came so that we could see who God Almighty is in our world. But the thing about him was he was full of grace and truth. And you look at that. And you see the balance that Christ brought grace and he brought truth. You know, we're going to see it. And I think for us as believers, it's so important to be in the word of God because it's the word of God that gives us the balance that we need as believers. We live in a day where churches are very legalistic. We live in a day where churches are very liberal. Christians are legalistic. Christians are very liberal. But the Bible strikes that healthy balance. And here's the bottom line. If you're not in the Bible and that the Word of God's given you your balance, you're going to gravitate to one side or the other. And we want to be healthy. And the Word of God is what's going to make us healthy. Grace and truth. The prime example, we're going to see it months from now, but the woman caught in adultery, right? What does Jesus say to her? Where's your, con where's your condemners? Or your accusers? She goes, no man, Lord. He goes, neither do I condemn thee. There's grace. 
Go and sin no more. There's truth. You see the balance that Christ brought. There's nothing better than going through the gospel because every one of us are in the ministry. Every one of us are called to kingdom work and there's nobody better to pattern your ministry or kingdom work after other than Jesus Christ himself. So we look at that balance. We, we look at the balance of Jesus Christ and he brought grace and he brought mercy because people get out of balance. This is what I get all the time. God's love. Thank God he is. Yeah, he's love. Okay? But that ain't the end of the story, you know? And, and want to put everything under love, and, and I understand it, God's love, but he's also just. And someday the lake of fire will be filled with lost souls, unfortunately, because God isn't just love. He's not just grace. He's not just forgiveness. But he is just, and he is righteous, and he holds himself to do what is right. Fortunately for us, our judicial guilt when we receive Christ gets transferred to him. We get his innocence. We get to walk around righteous as a child of Almighty God, knowing that that's our position in him because of what he did for us, and it was faith that saved us because he was operating in the sphere of grace to bring us to him. And John, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. Now that sounds like a simple statement, but if you know the history of these two, John was actually Jesus' cousin and he was six months older in the womb physically than Jesus was in the natural realm. But he said that he was before me. Why? Because John had a recognition that this was the Messiah and he went all the way back to eternity past. We already saw that, right? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. We, Jesus Christ is an eternal being. Outside of the domain of time, not, not limited by time dimensions, always existed because he's God. God that came in human flesh to show grace and truth. John bearing witness of him. Verse 16 says, and of his fullness have we received and grace for grace. So what do we see about that? Look, at if you're, if you're walking around, you call yourself a Christian and say, I'm empty. Look, at you, he's not failing you. You are failing you. Because in Christ, we receive fullness. I didn't come to Jesus because I had tragedies in my life. Actually, my life was going really good. Really couldn't think of any major complaints I had at the time. A lot of people, they come to Christ because the bottom fell out. My bottom didn't fall out at all. But I had something empty right there. And I tried a lot of things and nothing worked. Because it wasn't a what of what I was looking for, it was a who that I was looking for. And I'm here to tell you, life can be difficult, it can throw you curveballs. But there is nothing better than going through this life knowing that we have a good shepherd leading us. And we've received and grace for grace. Somebody explained it like waves of an ocean, just grace and grace coming on us. I look at this, we have the grace for our salvation, then we have the grace from our salvation. It was God's favor that we get to be reborn. 
And it is God's favor that we get to, to walk this life knowing that my Father is for me. And if my Father is for me, who can be against me? And that gives me a confidence to know that, that that's the kind of grace I got. You know, we sung today, the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh, it sure does. And it's a battle. But then right after that, right, the goodness of God. You know, what did, what did David know? David knew that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what that is? That's grace. That is such grace, such favor that God has given us in our life. We are the most blessed people in Christ. For the law was given by Moses, but look at grace and truth. Here we go again. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, John's experience, you know, walking with Jesus for three years, eventually he would, he would get the revelation uh, that we have at the end of our Bibles. But John's experience about Jesus was that this Jesus is for me. This Jesus that I'm following, he is for me. And this Jesus that I follow, he's true to me. He loves me enough to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. John says this, the law was given by Moses. You know what the law does? It demands righteousness from man. Demands it. You know what grace does? It gives righteousness to man. The law says do. Grace of Christ on the cross, done. When the law came down and Moses brought it and the whole camp was given into idolatry, 3,000 people died that day. When the Spirit came down at Pentecost, Peter preached a message. message. By the grace of God, 3,000 people got saved that day. No men have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, literally speaks of their oneness, their unity. We're going to see that in John 17. And be one as we are one. He wants us to be one. He hath declared him. And the word declared there is the word uh, exegesis, which literally means to expound. All right? So he's going to expound. It's his life that's going to unfold. It's going to reveal. It's going to make known the Father. So he declared him. So, well, because of time, we're going to end on that note. But as John kind of gives us an introduction to John the Baptist, we're going to see a little bit more of him. We're going to see more of his ministry next week. But, but who this word was and the word that was willing to come and to put on flesh. <clears throat> John came to bear witness to the light. Every day we're called to bear witness to the light. Every day, as believers, we're to reflect 
the light of Jesus Christ to a dark world. And the best way that we can do that is by letting nothing get in the path of that light coming in. That means like Demas, we don't let the world get in the way, the fallen system. That means that we deal with maybe any sin issue that might get in the way, or even maybe like Zacharias, that, that maybe there's a degree or a place in our life where we no longer are believing God for something. Remember the father who brought his demon? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe we have to address personal unbelief, whatever it is. But I do know this. I do know that God wants to intensify whatever reflection that we're offering in this world today, and he can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I do know this, and I do believe this, that every one of us are going to be given opportunities this week to reflect Christ into somebody's life. And without the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we need to ask God for, we're not going to have the impact God wants us to have. He wants us to rely on Him. And He wants us to reflect Christ. Remember, our witness isn't our Christianity, our faith, or our church. Our witness is Jesus Christ. That's the source of our witness. We point people to Him. And you know, the Jews missed it. He came to his own. His own received him not. His own brothers, none of them believed him. They didn't understand the cross. The cross is behind us. That work's taking place. The suffering Messiah. The ruling Messiah is ahead of us. We're living in some pretty exciting days. So may we take seriously the opportunity. Remember last thing Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the last thing he said. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to give you power to be what I've asked you to be, my witnesses, that you reflect who I am. Holy Spirit, I know this week that you want to place us, your living epistles, in the lives of individuals who, who are in death and darkness. And I pray, Father, that our testimony would get their attention so that our words could get their ear and that you would fill your church with empowerment that we would seek you and look to be empowered by you to go out and to be a reflection of who you are in the world in which you've called us to. Thank you for the lives that are here today, Lord. I thank you for our young ones downstairs. Pray, Father, that our lives will be used to full capacity. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to trust you, Lord. We thank you that you came. We thank you that you understand. 
We thank you that you tabernacled amongst us. We bless you, Lord, that you're a God that changes lives. Receiving you gives us the ability to be who we were not once before. And every one of us in Christ can testify to that. Thank you for the new birth. Thank you for new hope and for everlasting life. In Jesus' name.